0: Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here back live on Your Radio, Voice of Christian Israel, and on Telegram. Thanks for the reminder, Lily. And uh, folks, I'm just going to continue the theme that we started this morning on Bloodlines where we were talking uh, about the difference between Jews and Judahites in the early gospel era and who Paul was talking about. When he used the word, not Jew, but Judah and or Israel. Because the word Jew did not exist until medieval times, as Brother Ebert talked about in his study, Jew or Judah, in the middle uh, segment on your radio this morning. Okay. And I know personally, because I've been to Williamsburg, Virginia, I've seen the er very early grave markers in Williamsburg where there is no letter J on the grave markers. Uh, If a person named James had a gravestone, it was spelled I-A-M-E-S and it was pronounced Yames not James. There was no letter J sound in the English language until the middle to late 1700s. This is what we have to understand, folks. So the, the 1611 King James Bible, king I should say King James Bible, had no letter J in it. And if it did have a letter J, it was pronounced like a Y. Again, it's I-A-M-E-S. So the average Judeo-Christian and even the average Bible scholar has no inkling that the letter J did not even exist in those days until very, very recently. So the, the question then is, well, where did the word Jew come from? And as, as Brother Ebert so eloquently described, it's a fake word. It's a fake word applied to the Bible by the Jews to make us think that there were Jews or that the Israelites were Jews or the Judahites were Jews even way back in biblical times. Well, that's not possible because there was no letter J in those days. You were either Israel or Judah. That's what you were, Israel or Judah. So I'm just going to go into the etymology of, first of all, the letter J we have to understand that the letter J is new to the English language and probably new to most European languages as well. Okay, so very quickly here, this is english.stackexchange.com questions. And let me just scroll up. I'm not sure. Let me put this in the uh, Telegram chat room as well. Because this is very, very important information. We have to understand, as we were talking about earlier this morning, we have to understand our origins. We have to understand our history. If we don't understand our history, there is no way we can understand the Bible. Okay? There just isn't. You can't, you can't assume that the Bible was written for us moderns or for any other race other than Israel. You cannot make that assumption, and the vast majority of Judeo churches make that assumption, which is absolutely, absolutely false. So let's get into this article here. Let me scroll back up to the actual title there. If the letter J is only four to 500 years old, it's not even that old, was there a J sound that preceded the design of the letter? And I'm going to scroll down to the five answers. The letter J is, as you mentioned, relatively recent and originated as a variant of the letter I. Why that happens is a little complicated and requires unpacking some assumptions in your questions. uh, Many questions are loaded with assumptions that are never explained by linguists and certainly not explained by theologians and certainly not by Jews. Forget about getting an explanation from the Jew. Yeah, so, if you killed Jesus, <laughs> well, the Jews killed Jesus, or actually maybe I should say the Jews, which was originally spelled I-E-W-E, the Jews killed Jesus, and it's still pronounced Jesus in many of the European languages today. No J. Absolutely. No J. So let's get to the five answers here. The letter J is, as you mentioned, relatively recent and originated as a variant of the letter I. Why that happens is a little complicated and requires unpacking some assumptions in your question. In the original languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, which provide us with the names Jesus, Joseph, Justinian, etc., the sound which we write as J was pronounced as the English letter Y. Just to make things confusing for English speakers, the phonetic symbol for this sound is J. The symbol is J, but the sound is Ye. In Latin, the letter for this was capital I slash lowercase I. In Greek, it was the same, I and iota, And in Hebrew, it was Yod. Thus, the Greek spelling for Jesus was Jesus. ISOUs pronounced something like Jesus. and the Latin likewise was Jesus. So anybody who reads the Bible and asserts that only the name of Jesus, only the name of Jesus is the name by which you are saved, um, that can't be true because it wasn't pronounced Jesus until relatively well, recently, The actual pronunciation was Jesus, as it is still pronounced in German. Jesus, if you please. Okay, so you can't insist upon an English pronunciation of a Hebrew, Greek, or Latin word. You can't insist upon that, because the matter of fact is that the English word Jesus is a transliteration of the Greek and the latin which means that it's not it has no meaning it's a transliteration is an attempt to imitate the pronunciation of the word in the uh, in the original language it's just an attempt to iter- reiterate or iterate the pronunciation not the definition so jesus really has no definition it's just a sound and in those days it was actually jesus in Greek, and Jesus in the Latin, coming from the Hebrew, which was Yahshua. So, Jesus in both the Greek and the Latin comes from the Hebrew, Yahshua. The Aramaic variant of that was Yeshua. So, instead of Y-A-H Shua, it's Y-E, Shua. No S sound in either one of those words, and no J sound in either one of those words. So how did the word Jew come to supplant these words, which had no letter J? How is this possible? Let's consider this uh, explanation some more. Subsequently, in the Latin alphabet, the letter J was developed as a variant of I. And this distinction was later used to distinguish the consonantal Y sound, which was still a letter J, from the vocalic I sound. Okay, so the letter J, even though it's pronounced like a Y, has the, the, the J with the little curly Q on the bottom and a dot on the top, a jot on the top of the J. And the I is a little a, a scribble, a jot, a, a little scribble with a jot on the top, no no tittle on the bottom of it. However, at about the same time, there was a sound change in many of the languages of Western Europe. Such that the Y sound changed into a J sound, or sometimes, I'm not sure, Z, uh, into a J sound, which I think he is spelling here, D Z J So, what I think he's trying to say here is, for example, in the Polish language, the word jenik, which I think means newspaper, is spelled D-Z-E-N-N-I-K. Genic. so the d preceded the z so the actual j sound that we use today was a combination of d and z with the z portion of the letter dropped in favor of the d in front of it so genic, it became genic from d and z not from the j that's how the letter j acquired its sound when this happened hard to say So we have it that in English, the letter J now represents a consonant, which is DZ, which is not obviously similar to the vowel I, despite the fact that they descend from the same letter and the same sound. English also has many J sounds spelled with J, which come from native Germanic roots, but are not pronounced with a J sound in Germanic, nor Latin, maybe French, Maybe Latin. French picked up some of that J uh, sound earlier on, and it probably transmitted from the French to the English. That's probably how the J sound came into English. You can see this history worked out differently in the spelling systems of German and many of the Slavic languages of Eastern Europe, where the letter J spells the Y sound, and the letter Y, if used at all, is primarily used as a vowel Okay, so this is kind of a a linguistic history of the J sound. Uh, The next uh, entry here says, this is a good explanation. I wondered if going to such detail on an English usage forum was apt, even as I was typing out my answer, but I see I am not the only one. Wait, so Indiana Jones and the Final Crusade was being anachronistic by having the J title? (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly if it uh, applies to the Knights Templar, who never had the letter J, or or the J sound. Subsequently, in the Latin alphabet, the letter J was developed as a variant of I. Partly, this is distinguished by the consonantal Y sound, which is still using what we call the letter J today, from the vocalic I sound, which is I or Y as we understand it today. Not sure I agree with this. When the variant of the letter I appeared that was written like J, both without dots, there was no connection with a distinction of sound. This happened much later and independently. So whether it was written as a form of the letter J without a dot on top, or the form of the letter I without a dot on the top, they were pronounced exactly the same, namely as a Y. Next, just French really. The francophone influence in england pushed that i believe when english switched from runes to the latin alphabet now that's that's interesting i had not heard that before that is quite probable another comment one more thing in classical greek i n would be two syllables i think or if it's i s i'm not sure which it is here like a glottal stop and two separate vowels. You could say there is a connective yeah sound audible between the vowels. When a word starts with an N or or, or, an iota in Greek, it was not pronounced like a J, not even before another vowel. see the English iota. It is possible that this changed in later Greek under Latin influence. Question... But I am not aware of this. In some cases, post-classical Greek may have used uh, I to render the Hebrew Yad or the Latin I slash J, both pronounced the same way. So in such borrowed words, I was probably pronounced Yeah, not Eh, but Yeah, but not in normal words, okay? So so the history of this this, transliteration, because we're talking about the acquisition of a new sound is very apt. You have to understand that this is a historical linguistic development which never occurred in the Hebrew, Greek, or Latin. Ever. Ever. It was only until those three languages were translated into English much later in history that any such thing as the J sound occurred. Okay, one. I'll I'll go through this other comment here. As Laurie mentions, this really belongs to the linguistics group, as this is a wider question pertinent to Latin, and all that is most Latin-influenced European languages. Classical Latin did not have a distinct J sound. The J, as we know, in English. I, I think I really believe that the J sound came either through the Polish or the French, or maybe a combination of the two, because the DZ, I think, is the true origin of the J sound, the J, which uh, combined the letters D and what we call today Z, which, or Z, which really did not, when did that start? When did the letter C, Z, enter the English language? That's another question. When I was followed by another, when I, not, he's not referring to himself. <laughs> when I was followed around the town of Manhattan. No, no. When the letter I, he should have inserted the word letter. When the letter I was followed by another vowel, it usually sounded similar to English Y. To, yeah. Thus, we had Julius. Yes, it was Julius Kaiser. Not Julius Caesar. It was Julius Kaiser, which was as if you said Julius or Julius. In the Middle Ages, a new letter was assigned to the sound J. However, it can be seen from even a casual glance that there has been widespread confusion of this and related sounds in many Western European languages. And even when the letter J was introduced, it was still pronounced like a Y and not like a J. In Spanish, for oops, I scrolled down too far. Give me one second here. In Spanish, for example, the y sound moved to the letter ll, as in gallos, g-a-l-l-o-s. How that happened and why I wouldn't understand. Whilst the letter j picked up the guttural ch, which is due to possible Arabic influence. Yeah, the Arabs conquered the Spanish Peninsula and influenced the Spanish language. In English, meanwhile, the original pre-vocalic I, E, G sound palatized to J and eventually to Y. And I'm not sure if he means the Y or I sound here. We can see these when we compare Dutch or German cognates. So, in Dutch and German, there is no J. Period. There is no J. This outline only partially touches upon the question asked, but I hope throws some light on the evolution of the sounds around the letter J in a broader language. So when somebody says the name Jesus is the only name by which you can be saved, the question is, what era are you speaking about? Because the word Jesus is a very recent extraction just to be understood correctly, okay? But this applies to the word Jew. The word Jew, as Brother Hebert pointed out, was not invented until the late 17th century because there was no letter to put in front of ye, ye or eudeos in the Greek and the Latin. So how did this word Jew come about? Let's go to Wikipedia. Jew, meaning the word. This article is about the English word Jew, for the Jewish people see Jews. We don't need to go there. This article has multiple issues. Yeah, because it's probably written by a Jew. <laughs> Let's get into it. The English term Jew originates from the biblical Hebrew word Yahudi, or Yehud, simply Yahud. Meaning from the kingdom of Judah. It is a reference to the tribe of Judah, not to Edomite Yids. It's a reference to the tribe of the person Judah or the tribe of Judah, not to any Edomite Yids. It passed into Greek as Eudeos and Latin as Eudaeus which evolved into the old French Jew, G-I-U, after the letter D was dropped. Okay, again, I think that the uh, combination was DZ, as in Polish. And that's probably where the G sound came from, because it did not exist in any European language until very late. So I, I... I think they're not understanding that the Polish had that sound early on, which was probably adopted from Latin. Somehow Julius became Julius. When that happened, I don't know. But it wasn't early on. It wasn't certainly used in biblical times, Old Testament or New Testament. A variety of related forms are found in early English from about the year 1000, including Judea. And they have G-Y-U, G-I-U, I-U-U, I-U-W, and I-E-W, which eventually developed into the modern word. But whether G-Y-U and G-I-U were pronounced with the J sound, or with the guttural G sound, this article doesn't go into that. It continues. Okay, here's a... Here's a Hasmonean coin of Johan Herkanus, 134 to 104 B.C. With the inscription, Hayehudum Hayehudim, of the U's, no J. Yehohanan. Kohen Gadol Kever Hayudim. That's the inscription on the coin. No J, which is translated as Council of the Jews, or better, Yehudim. Yehudi in the Hebrew Bible. According to the book of Genesis, Judah, or Yehuda, was the name of the fourth son of the patriarch Jacob. During the Exodus, the name was given to the tribe of Judah descended from the patriarch Judah. After the conquest and settlement of the land of Canaan, Judah also referred to the territory allocated to the tribe. After the splitting of the United Kingdom of Israel into the two houses, the name was used for the southern kingdom of Judah. However, the Jews claim the name that they are all Israel. They are the only survivors of the Israelites of the Old Testament, is what the Jewish claim is, and that's obviously... False, because the Bible says all 12 tribes of Israel will exist forever. The kingdom now encompassed the tribes of Judah, benjamin there was no J in Benjamin either, and Simeon, along with some of the cities of the Levites, with the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. The kingdom of Judah became the sole Judahite state, and the term Yehud, was applied to all Israel. By whom? Again, this is Wikipedia. They admitted that this article has issues at the very top of the article. Indeed, there's no way that the term Yehud was ever applied to any Israelite tribe. It was applied only to the tribe of Judah and or the house of Judah and nobody else. And even Benjamin had no letter J in it either. The term Yehudi occurs 74 times in the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible. The plural Yehudim first appears in 2 Kings 16.6, where it refers to a defeat of the Yehudi, not Jewish, army or nation. Okay? And in 2 Chronicles 32.18, where it refers to the language of the Yehudim, not the Jews. Jeremiah 34 9 has the earliest singular usage of the word Yehudi. In Esther 2 5 through 6, the name Yehudi has a generic aspect, in this case referring to a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, he's of the house of Judah. That's Mordecai, not Haman, who was an Amalekite Edomite. Okay, you have to. You have to stop and think about the words that are being used in Scripture to get the context correct. The book of Esther is not about Jews. It's about Judahites. Quote, There was a man, a Yehud, not Jewish, a Judahite man in Shushan, the capital whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair. No J sound. The son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been exiled from Jerusalem with the exile that was exiled with Yeconiah, king of Judah, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had exiled, unquote. Since we're discussing the origin of the letter J, I might as well pronounce the old words in the correct form. Yehuda, or Yehud, simply Yehud, and Yehudim. The first is a person, the person Judah, and also the tribe of Judah. And the second, Yehudim, refers to Yehudim collectively. Okay. And, of course, the translation in Esther 8.17, which states, many of the people of the land became Yehudim in the generic sense because of the fear of the Yehudim fell on them. Well, they did that falsely. If you're not an Israelite, well, if you are a tribe of Israel, let's say Asher, your genetic structure does not change because you adopt the religion of the house of Judah in those times. You would not have been persecuted by Yehudites who realized that you were an Israelite in Shushan. And, of course, the Shushanites, uh, the 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 leaders of the country at the time were very friendly with Israel and saved them from Babylon, destruction in Babylon. He continues, in some places in the Talmud, the word Israelite refers to somebody who is Jewish but does not necessarily practice Judaism as a religion. This is completely separate from the Bible. This definition has nothing to do with the Bible. This is a completely modern definition, a Jewish definition. Okay, so we can disregard anything Talmudic. Development in European languages. The Septuagint, reputedly the product of Hellenistic Eudaite scholarship, and other Greek documents translated Yehudi and the Aramaic Yehudai using the Koine Greek term Eudaos, and that is spelled I-O-U, which gives us the sound of a modern U sound, Deos, d a i o s, udeos, and udeoi for the plural, which had lost the h sound. The Latin term following the Greek version is udeus, which is simply i u d a e u s, udeos, and from these sources the term passed into other European languages, Old French. Jew, if, if, if I'm pronouncing the old French correctly, G I U earlier J U I E U, obviously derived from the la, or the, uh, the uh, Greek U I E U I E W E U I E W E, had elided or dropped the letter D from the Latin Judeos. The Middle English word Jew derives from Old English where the word is attested as early as 1,000 in various forms such as eudaeus. Again, there's no J sound ascribed to eudaeus, but here they spell it G-Y-U-G-I-U-I-U-U-I-U-W-I-E-W. So it's really evident... That the J sound comes to English from the French because there was a lot of intermarriage between the French kings and the English queens and vice versa, a lot of intermarriage among them. Okay, and they were, none of those were Jews either. <laughs> okay, the Middle English word Jew derives from Old English, where the word is attested as early as 1000 in various forms such as Judeus, etc., etc. The modern French term is Juf or Juve, that's male and female. Now, whether that's pronounced Juf or Juf with the soft J, which I believe comes from the DZ, which was employed in Polish. I had a Polish girlfriend, so I knew about that. Most European languages have retained the letter D in the word for Jew. That's where the DZ the letter D for the word Jew, that's where the hard J comes from. So we have J, which is the soft J, or even the soft G. And if you put the letter D in front of that, you get a hard J, J. Etymological equivalents are in use in other languages. For example, Jude, Judeu in Portuguese, Yoda in Danish and Swedish, Judeo in Spanish, Jude in Dutch, and some languages' derivers, derivations of the word Hebrew are also used to describe a so-called Jew. Ibreo in Italian and Spanish, Ibri, Ibrani, Persian. But there's no J in those words either, okay? The German word Jude is cognated with the Yiddish word for Jew. So the Germans never pronounce it with a J sound. Most, most of the uh, uh, English-derived languages, the European language, never had the letter J. I think it was only picked up by the French and the English. Okay? So that gives us oh, <laughs> modern use. In modern English and other contemporary languages, the term Israelite was used to refer to contemporary Jews. But even that's a very recent vintage. I think the Jewish Encyclopedia admits that the Jews applied the word Israelite to themselves only in the mid-1800s. Thus, trying to equate the word Jew with the word Israel. Okay? That also is a very recent vintage okay here's another coin obverse of a so-called Jewish silver Yehud coin from the Persian area era with falcon or eagle and Aramaic inscription Yehud pronounced like a Y okay so since the foundation of the state of Kaikistan, It has become less common to use Israelite of Jews in general. Instead, citizens of the state of Israel or Kyrgyzstan, whether Jewish or whatever, are called Israeli, while Jew is used as an ethno-religious designation. Okay? But they're not Israelites. (laughs) They're not Israelites. Okay? All right. So one final article here, because we need to understand... That the word Jew, as we know it today, is a modern invention. And it's the Jews who've been telling us that they are Israelites because they are supposedly Jews. And we are Goyim or Gentiles, as they use the word. Where there is no such derivation of either word, Jew or Gentile, in Scripture. This is all very recent, and it's all very deceptive. Very deceptive, okay? So you have all these Judeo-Christian ministers who use Jewish words to describe a false Jewish reality and apply it to Scripture and to the modern world as if this had always been true. It is not. Never has been and is not now true. The fact that people use these words commonly to identify the Jews with Israel is just another form of deception, and use the word Gentile to to define non-Jews as goyim, which is the Hebrew word goyim, which simply means nation, doesn't mean non-Jew, doesn't mean Jew. It simply means nation. So, the question now, this is an article by a Jewish lady. Orit Avneri. How did the word Jew become identified with the Jewish people? Good question. Most people assume it always has been. <laughs> no, it hasn't. How did the name Yehuda or Yehud become the name most identified with the Jewish people and evolve in, into its derivative Jew. So she is admitting right off the bat that the word Jew is a derivative of the word Yehud. It's a derivative, but not an original. The name Yehudah, which first appears in the Bible as the name of the fourth son of Leah, also became the name of the tribe of the descendants of Yehuda. So far, so good. I can't believe I'm reading truth from a Jewish woman. (laughs) But this is accurate. This is 100% accurate. In this form, it is mentioned numerous times in the Bible. The term Jew, Yehudi, and she puts the word Jew in quotes because it's not used in the Bible. It never appears in the Hebrew or Greek Bible ever. The term Jew Yehudi, on the other hand, does not appear in the earlier books of the Bible and is to be found only a few times in the later books of the Bible Kings 2, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Esther, and Chronicles. And there it appears as a false translation of Yehud, Yehudim, or Yehuda. Always a false translation. How then did the name Yehuda evolve into its derivative, quote unquote, Jew? And how did it make its way from being the name of one of the tribes of Israel to being identified with the whole Jewish people? How did this other false definition of the word word Jew come about, implying that only Jews are Israelites? How did that happen? Well, I bet a lot of Jewish money went into making these words equivalent in meaning in both dictionaries and theological textbooks. Maybe trillions of dollars. And <laughs> a Sussex man says, The name Jesus in the Bible is only in the third person. Disciples called him Master. And when asked, Who shall I say? Told you, Christ say, say I am. Sent you. And that, of course, comes from the word Yahweh or Yah. No No J. No J. All right, let's continue. The use of the name Yehuda expanded following the separation from the kingdom of Israel, not only to the name of the tribe, but also to the kingdom of Yehuda, which is the southern kingdom created from the portions of Yehuda. Yamin, she spells it correctly with a y, and Shimon. The term Jew was not used as the collective name for the residents of the kingdom in its early stages, and I would say ever. It was never used for the kingdom of Yehuda ever in the Bible, not even in the New Testament. Other terms were used, and in particular, men of Yehuda. That is accurate, folks. This article by this Jewish woman is almost 100% correct. She just makes a couple of minor mistakes, but she is very being very truthful here. Thus, for example, in Judges 15:10, quote, "And the men of Yehuda said, why are you come up against us?" Yehuda doesn't say Jews. The first appearance of the word Jew, quote unquote, in the Bible is in Kings 2, 16, 6. Its connotation there is identical to that of men of Yehuda And that is correct. The same connotation we're talking about. Judahites, not Edomite Jews. And drove, as she quotes it from the KJV, and drove the Jews from Elat. But that is a false translation of Yehuda. It should say, and drove the Yehudim from Elath. Yehudim being a designation for the people of Judah. Over time, this name replaced the earlier ones, though the meaning remained unchanged. Okay, well, it, remained cha- it did not remain unchanged because the, the Edomites assumed the identity of Judah from 121 BC until now. And people falsely equate Jews with Judah. In other words, the term Jew in this period was a person who originated from the kingdom of Yehudah, or as a reference of the Yehudim, who are a member of the 12 tribes, period. And here she has a coin. It's a lady, a Judah lady, with a very Saxon looking body and face, and there's somebody standing behind her. I don't know what that symbol is, but it says, Udea, I U D A E A. That's Latin, folks. Udea, no J. Under the caption under this uh, coin says, the Judea capped a coin from 71 A.D., which was minted by the Romans to commemorate their victory. On one side is the image of the victorious Emperor Vespasian. On the other side appears a woman in mourning who represents defeated Yehuda. She sits under a date tree that represents the land of Israel. The inscription on the coin in Latin, Yehuda captured or Yehuda defeated. Hecht Museum. Haifa University. So you can glean some truth from an occasionally honest Jew. Occasionally honest Jew. In 733, but never totally honest. In 733 BC, Shalmaneser V, the king of Assyria, began exiling the residents of the northern kingdom of Israel. The exile was completed in 722 by his successor Sargon II. Again, this is accurate. Of the divided kingdom, only Yehuda remained, while Yehuda and Benjamin and certain Levites remained in the southern kingdom. Over the years, contact was lost with the ten tribes who apparently disappeared within the societies they were living in. Not true. We're still here. We're called the Caucasian people. And the only population still identified with the people of Israel was that of the kingdom of Judah. And that is, of course, by the Jews, by design, because they want you to think that we disappeared. We did not disappear. We are still here. We are Caucasian Israel. Accordingly, a gradual process of transformation of the word Jew took place, from a term indicating the people of a particular kingdom to one indicating ethnic origin. But of course, that's false ethnicity, because the Jewish people are Edomites, never were Judahites or Israelites ever. This became particularly evident in the literature of the Babylonian exile and later. Well, she's talking about Jewish literature, not the Bible. False translations of the Bible, notwithstanding. Among the biblical texts, the book of Esther, which was apparently written in the late Persian period or the early Hellenistic period, and I think was even written in Aramaic, some of it, Contains the largest number of the mentions of the word Jew, where it's falsely inserted, and as a replacement for Yehud or Yehudim. Okay. And yes, oh yeah. Well, there's uh, Nimble Horse uh, posts the Paleo Hebrew. Okay, <laughs> Paleo Hebrew. And, of course, the Jews have convinced the world that they are n- not only the Israelites of the Bible, but they, they have convinced people that they are all, also white, which they are not. They are neither Judahites, Israelites, or white. They are none of the above. And Mr. Kim Smith says that YHW would be pronounced Yahweh. That's quite possible. And, ultimately, you know, w- there was no S in the Tetragrammaton. So the S comes from Yahshua, meaning Yahweh saves. So the original word YHWH and sometimes written as simply YHW could have been pronounced Yah Yahwa or Yahweh, or Yahweh. And uh, so we are dealing with not only, you know, uh, identity theft, we're uh, dealing with False etymology, false pronunciation, false meanings of words that do not apply to the Edomite Jews any way, shape, or form. But the Jews want us to believe that these words apply to them. They do not. Okay, let's continue. Among the biblical texts, the book of Esther, which was apparently written in the late Persian period or the early Hellenistic period, of Yehudah, not the Jews, contains the largest number of mentions of the word Jew, quote-unquote, in its various forms. The appearance of the term in Esther indicates that already at this stage the name was not restricted to mean only tribal membership. Well, that's not true. That's Jewish interpretation. It was only the house of Judah, that was taken captive to Babylon. Those were only Judahites, Benjaminites, and Levites. That's it. There might have been a smattering of Israelites that were taken captive to Babylon along with Judah and Benjamin, but very, very few. So the only people that the word Jew as falsely translated, could apply to in Babylon during the captivity period, is Yehud, Benjamin, and Levi. Continuing. The appearance of the term in Esther indicates that already at this stage the name was not restricted to mean only tribal member. That's false. That's a completely false statement. The appearance of the term Jew in Esther indicates that it's been falsely inserted Into the Bible. That's what it indicates. Thus, for example, Haman defines a group of people. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. And their laws are different from any other people. Esther 3.8. Well, this is Haman making that statement. Haman was an Amalekite. And only the Judahites and Israelites had different laws from the rest of the world. Including, of course, the Canaanites and Edomites. They were all pagans. The whole rest of the world was pagan. Only Israel and Judah had the name of Yahweh on their lips and the law of Moses in their hearts, at least occasionally. (laughs) All right, so Haman is is describing Israel, the Israelites and the Judahites because our law is totally different from the law of the other nations of the world. That's how Esther 3.8 must be understood, and that is accurate. And it is referring to the quote-unquote Jews, as this group is called again and again in the book. No, it's referring to Judah, either as the tribe of Judah or the house of Judah. That's what it's referring to. In the book of Esther, you have to know the history and the terminology before you can elaborate as she is doing. So she's starting to get stuff wrong because she's starting to preach Judaism, not biblical uh, doctrine. In addition, the introduction of Mordecai in the Megillah indicates that the term, quote-unquote, Jew refers to the whole group. There was a, quote-unquote, Jewish man. No, it should be Yehudish. Yehudahite man. There was a Yehudahite man, or Yehud. You don't need the word, at the end of that. Yet. There was a Yehud in Shushan, the capital whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. So he was a Yudahite only in the sense that he was from the house of, of Judah, he was actually from the tribe of Benjamin, as was Paul, self declared in the book of Romans, which we covered earlier this morning. And that's from Esther 2 5. The sages still viewed this as a troubling redundancy and suggested that it be interpreted as a tribal division. Quote, In other words, she's referring to the rabbis of Judaism. Only the Jews would have a problem with this, because they're not Judah, nor are they Israel. However, Rashi, who is a rabbi, adopted the straightforward interpretation and took the position that Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is correct, and therefore was a Benjaminite, which is correct. But since he had been exiled with the tribe of Yehuda was referred to as a quote-unquote Jewish man, even though he was not a member of the tribe of Jews. Now, they should know that the word Yehud can be a reference to the house of Yehud, which includes Benjamin and Levi. They should know that. We know it. Apparently nobody else in the world knows it. So also in the book of Nehemiah, which describes the return from the Babylonian exile that began with the declaration of Korush in 528 BC, who is she calling Korush here? It was uh, Artaxerxes. She might be referring to him as Korush. The events in the book of Nehemiah itself occurred around 445 BC, and the term quote-unquote Jews refers to the whole people there without any tribal or geographic distinction. No, it refers to the Judahites who returned from Babylon, of which there were about 42,000. It should be emphasized that although it is understood in most cases that the quote-unquote Jews at this stage are indeed the descendants of the tribe of Yehuda, yes they were, which was the dominant tribe of the kingdom of Yehuda, that's the correct terminology here. the name came to mean every Jew wherever he was, without any connection to its tribal origin. How did that happen? How did a word which is exclusive to the people and tribe of Yehud? How did that word come to mean all kinds of people <laughs> right? Who call themselves quote unquote Jews, but are not derived from Yehuda or even derived from Israel. How did that happen? Well, it only happened very recently, folks. Very recently. Within the last 150 years or so. Thus, if at the time of the exile of the population of the kingdom of Yehuda to Babylonian, the quote unquote term Jew was still in the stage of transition from its geographical national meaning to its ethnic meaning, on their return from exile, it had already been confirmed as the name of a people, and this would continue to dominate after the return from exile. That's absolutely false. The word Jew was never used by the Yehudites to refer to themselves. Never. This is only done by scholars who don't know any better. And by Jews who started propagating the idea that the Jewish people are Judah and or Israel. It's part of the false definition of the word Jew. To include Yehuda and or Israel as part of the definition of Jew is deception, folks. Pure deception and nothing else. In the late Second Temple period, the dominant meaning of the word Jew continued to be an ethnic one. That's not true. Ethnic only in the sense of racially pure Judah. Not anybody who might have converted to that religion. And there were no conversions. The Hasmoneans and uh, the, the Judahites who tried to reign true to the religion of Moses fought the Greeks to the death. They fought the Romans to the death until, by a sly maneuver, Antipater bribed Julius Caesar and installed his son Herod as Tetrarch of Galilee, from which point he used who was the uh, general, a Roman general, to invade the land of Judah and take it over with the Romans. He, that is Herod, was not a Judahite. He and his father Antipater were Edomites, pretending to be Judahites. It's always pretense, folks. And, of course, this Jewish woman would never go there. That's too accurate a history explanation for any Jew to consider. All right? Okay, and then she says, in the late Second Temple period the dominant meaning of the word Jew continued to be an ethnic one in its parallel connotation to the people of Israel. Well, it's more complicated than that because even, in it, even from 121 BC to the expulsion of the Jews from the temple with Israelites and Judahites, pure-blooded Israelites and Judahites fleeing before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they, they got out when the getting was good. And those people are still with us today, and they are either Israelites or Judahites. Always have been, unless they've been racially mixed. Coins from the period of Aristobulus I, Alexander Janaeus or Janaius, and Herod, for example, appear with the explicit ex- inscription, Yehuda Yehonatan, High Priest, Council of the Yehudim, not Jews. Also in the wedding contract of Bapta Barat Shimon from the year 128, there appears according to the law of Moshe and Yehudai, a similar phrase is found in the wedding contract from the time of Hillel the elder from the first century A.D. And that inscription I-N-R-I which of course stands for the Latin "Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, not Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, which is a false translation because he was not, he did not come for Judea, he came for all Israel. All Israel, as we are informed, by, I believe it was Matthew. That inscription was mocking Jesus, though therefore it is not an accurate inscription. Pilate put that inscription up there in three different languages because he was being mocked, not because it's being accurate. Nevertheless, if it is translated as Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judah, then it would be accurate. Rex Judah, king of Judah, and by extension, of course, king of Israel. Okay? Unless you know the exact history of both the people and the terminology, the etymology of these words and how they should be properly used, you will not understand the nature of the deception of the word Jew and how it came to replace the word Yuda, you will not understand the deception. Okay, so in conclusion, all I have to say is this. Don't trust any translation that has been influenced by Jews. <laughs> Never trust it. Yes, and Pastor Steve said that the word Yahud or Yahuda means those who praise Yahweh. It means praise Yahweh. That's what it means. Mr. Kim Smith, absolutely correct. Those that call themselves Judah and are not. Revelation 2.9 and three nine, But do lie, do they not? And are the sickos of Satan. Thank you, nimble horse. <laughs> the offspring. As we find out in John 8.44. The offspring... And also in Matthew chapter 23, where Yahshua accuses those Pharisees of being the descendants of Cain. We know the truth. The rest of the world has yet to catch on. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. I hope we cleared up some confusion today. Take care, everybody, and Yahweh bless. Bye-bye.